Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast in English exclusively dedicated to the Commonwealth Libertadores, which is absolutely without doubt the greatest club competition in South American club football. In my opinion, in Ollie's opinion, in the opinion of so many, it's the greatest club competition in the world. Myself, David Windsor and Mr. Oliver James Wilson, this week we reviewed the group stages of the competition, which are all wrapped up now and the last 16 is very much decided ahead of the draw on Tuesday. We talked about who squeezed through, who flew through, who was impressive, who wasn't. We had our player of the round, uh, player of the group stages rather. We had our coach of the group stages and plenty more besides. I should apologise this week for my voice being a little bit croaky. Actually, when I switched on the mic to chat to Ollie initially, he said, mate, your mic's, something's wrong with your mic. It's not on because I was speaking a little bit unusually softly, you might say, because London has launched into a post-pandemic summer of socialising. So, yeah, it's um, it was a good, uh, what are we now, Sunday? It was a good Saturday night, Ollie. And, uh, yeah, and an enjoyable pod, my friend, as well. Forgive who the feels, stuttering and stumbling and, and all this, yeah. Who feels worse at the moment, David Windsor or Deportivo Tachira fans? <laughs> well... I'll be able I'll be able to sleep this off and feel okay on Monday morning, but Deportivo Tachira they've still got to they've still got to watch their side indefinitely, so probably them. <laughs> Brutal, God, you get grumpy when you're in uh, <laughs> on the Sunday morning after the Saturday little night Rasaka, podcast. Yeah, little little hangover. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, and I've literally just had a message. This should stay in. I've just had a message from somebody who I work for who said uh, the the work I was meant to be doing this morning is going to be a little delayed because he's massively hungover, so they haven't got the script sorted yet as well. I'm working with a bunch of buffoons here. What's going on? (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) No, we're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. uh, Yeah. Um, Ollie, we had a good uh, good little chat, didn't we, with the group stages wrapped up? Um, It's finally all coming into place for the knockout stage. I don't think there were many too many twists and turns in the final week day i think we've seen a few stalls being set out and i think there's still a lot of question marks over some of these sites uh, to pick up some of the big names that we kind of got into and raise some questions about flamengo river plate of course but have we seen a turning point for Boca this week in in the new system and setup that they utilized have we seen Racing really put their names right in the hat as being one of the better sides in this competition and perhaps an outside chance there's still Atletico Minero who we had slight reservations for at the beginning but have they changed our mind now I mean it's all starting to take shape and the Libertadores is so unpredictable we'll talk about this now and I imagine in a few weeks time when we do the huge uh, pre-knockout stages podcast I'll have changed my mind on all of it particularly with anything that goes on during the the summer with the Copa America and COVID and the Brazilian Serie A starting as well and everything else that goes on in South America <laughs> so everything on this podcast you might want to take with a pinch of salt I will change my mind immediately but it is a good listen it's a fun we, break we reserve the we reserve the right and Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast to change our opinions our minds and absolutely everything else um ladies and gentlemen enjoy the pod Redes to try and kill the tie off the vital away goal in the first leg and the Libertadores group stage ceiling goal in the second back in and kept alive as well and rifles into the back of the net oh that is just exquisite Fidel Martinez, you are sensational. I don't know, like, in terms of when you look back at history, you 
close. I kind of remember finals more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So I think you, you're going to look back on stuff like that. Anyway, let's. Um, yeah. That's enough about dirty European football. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the real stuff. And Group A of the 2021 Combo Ball Libertadores Oli, which is all wrapped up now, of course. Uh, let's dive straight in. Palmeiras six, Universitario nil. The defending champions scoring six goals, 20 goals in the group. Um, there was a red card for Alberto Quintero, which I thought was a little bit harsh, actually, early on for Universitario, mm-hmm. down to 10 men. And to be honest, you know, Palmeiras were going to batter uh, the Peruvians anyway, but you chuck in a numerical advantage and it's it's very, very plain sailing. The points I had from this game, Oli, were Honey scores a brace, six goals for the group stages. What can you say? He's, he's the best player on the continent. Um, I know they lost the state championship to Sao Paulo recently, Palmeiras. So, and also they lost to Defensive Justicia in the group just prior to this. So a bit of a rocky kind of couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, a 6-0 win. It was nice to see Gabriel Menino starting. I liked him a lot from what I saw of him last year. So that was impressive. And and really, Oli, when, when all said and done in Group A, the defending champions looking very, very strong going into the knockout stage. Yeah, it's a gift, the 6-0 victory this week. It's an absolute gift. Universitario down to 10 men and then couldn't defend to save their lives. I mean, you look at Honey's second goal, I think Ridiculous. it is, where he just it's passed back to him inside the 18-yard box and he's just stood there waiting. He's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll stick this in for number six and put the icing on the cake on the victory. Uh, you know, Palmeiras weren't, didn't face really anything at all. I think uh, I saw a stat that said they faced three shots, which is the lowest number of shots they've faced in the Libertadores in like eight, nine games, something like that. So it, there was no real fight from the UA side. It's a tough place to go in Brazil. Palmeiras still were able to rest some players and still get a comprehensive victory. First goal from Vina is really nice. Matias Vina's strike to, to open it up was quality, but goals two, three, four, five, and six are all just either a very routine, much of a muchness, or, or Universitario having their own problems. 23 games in a row now in the Libertadores that Palmeiras have led at half-time 2-0 and gone on to win. I think it just says, this tournament so far at least says, that Palmeiras, however difficult it is to repeat in the Libertadores and go and win it again, I think you can arguably look at them as already being the front-runners ahead of Flamengo, ahead of River. I know uh, the gambling market at the moment actually has both River Plate and Flamengo as at 5-1 to one, and Palmeiras at 6-1. to one. To win the Libertadores right Palmeiras now. Palmeiras is six to one. I've already put a fiver on it this morning. Ollie, you've got to add a couple of zeros to that. <laughs> They're six I mean, to one. Six to one. As of this morning, and we're this recording morning, this on right now. Sunday, May the thirtieth. Um, and wow. that's going to that will change obviously when the draw gets made as well. But as it's which is coming up on Tuesday, as it stands right now, Palmeiras six to one, and I think that's low. Four to one, I would put at least Palmeiras on at the moment. Uh, if you're if you're checking that at the moment while you listen, that was Bet three six five that I got those uh, those odds on, and um, it you seems to be across sponsor, the board. But maybe uh, yeah, not a sponsor, too. but my no. my preferred uh, sports gambling outlet of choice, which I don't do very often, to be honest. Aside from I, you the know odd- what, I don't. I used to. I don't. But I don't bet on football. I don't bet on anything these days. And uh, yeah, football. Uh, really, I'm just looking at an hourly, and yeah, yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. Why would he be? He's, he's Oliver, Oliver James Wilson. <laughs> Flamengo four to one. How? I'm sorry. I'm going to yeah. put this out there. Who, whoever has made these odds doesn't watch the competition because River at five <laughs> to one and Palmeiras six to one is ridiculous. Yeah, that's wrong. That's not even ridiculous. That's just wrong. Um, I really like the look of 
gosh, there's a few outside bets that I'll have a look at. Anyway, like, we digress. We can talk about the um, the odds. But yeah, hey, we'll, this... we'll have a look at the odds once the draw's done. When we do a post draw okay. podcast yeah. or something like that, we'll get deeper into that. But yeah, I, yeah. I think Palmeiras look like the best side in this tournament at the moment throughout this group yeah. stage in a difficult group um, against sides that have got very good attacking quality. It's mm. uh, yeah, the Green Giant looks really strong right now, and the six nil victory, an easy one, but it highlights their strengths. Uh, and doesn't yet show any of their weaknesses, which there has to be in this Palmeiras side. Mm. We've only really seen them stumble a couple of times. Defensa Justicia won, Independiente del Valle won. Oli was the other game in Group A. Um, listen, um, a few notes from this. I mean, Brian Romero scored his third goal in the group stages. You, you've watched him... A lot more than I have, Ollie, because of course you, you kind of tracked his progress a lot last year. Um, how good is he? Well, I think you judge by the goals that he has popped up with in this latter part of the group stage. Obviously, when he's got into mm. this defensive justicia side, he's a he's an out and out finisher to me. The, the the goal that he scores this week, for instance, is a wonderful, just neat little shimmy to get some space inside the eighteen yard box, physical enough to get around his defender and the right side goal side of him. And it's a very good finish into the far bottom corner. And I think if you give him chances, he's going to put them away. And if he's doing it at the Libertadores level, you know, you can look at last year's 10 goals in the Comibol Sudamericana and say, well, it's not the Libertadores, is it? But if he's doing it now, was it three and three at the moment? Yeah. In the Libertadores? Yeah. You can't argue with that. And if he keeps on doing it, it just shows how strong he is. I think the loan has actually been extended because I'm sure it was going to finish midway through this year and it's now set to finish in December 2021. So he's going to be with Defensa Justicia for the remainder of this tournament on loan from Independiente. There's a chance that, look, he's not going to make, Defensa Justicia I don't think are going to make waves and go deep into like semi-final territory of this competition and I will stand be stead corrected if that does end up happening. But Brian Romero can score against some of the best sides in the continent. And I think... Again, I think he's won, and I think I said it after the Sudamericana last year. Why not Boca Juniors have a look? Like, that's what they need. That's exactly what they need. I've got written Boca question mark. I mean, (laughs) we're not going to, every time a player scores a goal, we're going to be like, why haven't Boca signed him? But it it really does feel, especially in this group stage, in, in the group stages, that there's enough strikers banging them in that it's worth asking the question of why Boca didn't go for these players. Um, Mm. You say, Ollie, that. Defensive this year, you'd be surprised to see them go really deep in the tournament. I mean, only lost one game in Group A. That was two Palmeiras, and they lost two one. They also beat them in the in the reverse fixture. So yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I agree with you, but, but it'll certainly be interesting. I mean, that as dark horses go, I think uh, not even sure you could call them dark horses really, considering they won the Sudamericana last year and that they've shown they can certainly match Palmeiras. Met them so many times recently because of the Recopa as well. They've definitely improved on last year in the Libertadores for sure. Uh, I think the quality of football we've seen from them. But again, it's just the cavalier attitude. The defensive solidarity is just not quite there yet. And they still do leave themselves too exposed. They're, they're fun, Again, they're an enjoyable team to watch. I'm going to try not to say fun as much as I did last week. But they are a very, really enjoyable side to watch on the eye. Uh, I think Unsein had some really good important saves actually in this game to keep him in. It makes a wonderful save to deny uh, Escobar in the second half, the man that that scored for Independiente Del Valle to open the scoring in the first 45 minutes. The other thing is, is this was an IDV side that was missing 
you know, a handful of, of starters. You know, they, they gave Efren Mera a start, for instance, who we haven't seen starting in this competition yet. The, the pup, as he's called. Chavez, only his second start in the group stage. Escobar, only his third start. Uh, second start in the group stage, third start in the competition. So it wasn't quite a full strength Independiente del Valle side that, that began this game. So a, a one-all draw in a game that didn't really mean too much for both sides because obviously IDV fairly confident that they were going to get that third spot, I imagine, in the group come the end of match day six. So it, we'll see. I'm still not completely sold that Defensor Justicia, they could be a surprise upstart with the attacking quality and anything can happen over two legs, let alone in 90 minutes. But but I would be surprised if they weren't picked off by somebody of a, a better opposition than them. Mm. So Palmeiras and Defensor Justicia go through and IDV go into the Commonwealth Sudamericana. Uh, group B, Oli. Um... Well, it's all about Olympia 6, Deportivo Tachira 2. Let's just polish off quickly into nil, always ready nil, because not much happened in this game. Tiago Gallardo had a, a really great chance ahead of which he put over the crossbar. John Mosquera had a good opportunity for always ready, which he couldn't take. Inter finished top of the group in the end. Um, any thoughts on Inter always ready before we crack into the big one? Uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez continues to rotate in the Libertadores. It's not been a starting eleven, I don't think, that's been the same each week which is interesting. Obviously, injuries come into that and everything else that's going on on the continent at the moment. But I still wonder if he knows his best 11 or the 11 that he really wants to have going through into this competition. I think Gallardo needs to start every single game. He is the best thing in that inter-front line at the moment. Um, Carlos Lampe, what a performance between the posts. 22 efforts on goal into Mustard throughout this game. Obviously, not all of them were on target, but he had some incredible saves. The second half save tonight, Tyson, is... Mm superb full stretch to keep it out i mean inter could have had 10 in the first yeah. half the number of chances they created and they should have put this game to bed it should have been another huge win on home soil and again i just think but we've seen them be hot particularly at home in this group stage and we've seen them be not and create chances and, and fluff their lines on numerous occasions and there is a such a jekyll and hyde to this inter side which actually seems like, it's not necessarily Miguel Angel Ramirez's fault because we've had that before with them in the last two years in this competition where one week they can look effervescent and, and play so fluidly and the next week they get they come unstuck and they can't find their way through and they're almost running through quicksand and squandering opportunities. So it, it may be just something with this squad, with this side. You know, you there are some teams that have some sort of mentality problem hanging over them for, for years on end. Look at, sorry to say it, but look at Tottenham. So mm. you you just wonder perhaps... If Miguel Angel Ramirez and Inter are the right combination for this year to go really deep in the competition, if they can take their chances, they can beat anybody. If they can't, they're in real trouble. And mm. it's either an all or nothing type deal with them this year. Olympia 6, Deportivo Tachira 2. Olympia came into this contest knowing they needed at least a four-goal win to stand any chance of qualifying. Um, and they got it. Um, they went 1-0 up, 2-0 up, 3-0 up. They still weren't qualified. 3-1, and then there was a red cards for Deportivo Tachira as Flores was sent off. 4-1 Olympia, still not qualified. 5-1 Olympia, going through. 5-2, not going through. And then 6-2 at the death with Richard Ortiz, the captain, popping up with with a really good strike, actually, to, to ensure they, they won the game. 
uh, by the full goal swing required to, to take them into the knockout stage of the competition. First time Olympia has scored six goals in their history in the Commonwealth Libertadores, which is so impressive because they've been such a feature of the competition as well um, mm. since it originated, really. So, you know, played so many Libertadores matches, first time ever they've scored six in um, in the competition. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was high drama, Oli. It's one of those you just wish there were fans in the ground, of course. But, uh, but Olympia by the skin of their teeth producing, yeah, I mean, just an amazing... An amazing performance, really, to go in knowing you needed at least a four-goal win and to, and to deliver it is is very, very impressive. Very impressive. Timing is everything, right? In life, in general. If you're in the right place at the right time, if you get the right result at the right time, so the first time to score six goals when you need a win by a four-goal margin, yeah, that works out quite nicely, to be honest, for everybody at Olympia. I, My main takeaway from this was the Richard Ortiz strike is yeah. so wonderfully a composition of everything about South American football in that Olympia are trying this neat little build-up play, a, a dink ball over the top into the box, and, and they just can't quite find the space and, and that last ball to open up the defence. So it drops to Richard Ortiz on the edge of the area, and he's just like, oh, forget it. I'm just going to smash it instead to see what happens. And he finds the top corner. I mean, it's mm. awesome. It's it, it's like, well, if it doesn't work, we're in the nice... Uh, flashy way just put your foot through it and see what happens and he, he comes up trumps with a brilliant hit peter his brace off the bench i thought actually on the evening was two quality finishes much like brian romero for real like number nine type quality mm. one touch and turn and smashing it home one beating the defender and um the only other thing i i, I thought about this game was uh rescalda in the uh the build-up to the first goal nods it down across goal and there is no way that I think that he's actually trying to find a teammate as he nods it back across goal. I think it is a terrible header from five yards out that drops so kindly for the opener. Mm. Yeah. But look, um, timing is everything yeah. and a little bit of luck and yeah, <laughs> they'll take it. They'll definitely take it. No, I love the way you described the the sixth goal because I think you're spot on there. And I also really like how he commits to the celebration as well. He celebrates as if he because it's on 82 minutes. So there's still a little chunk of the game to play, but the mm. celebration is such that, um, yeah, he just totally commits to that being the moment and, and it proves to be the case. And hey, Olympia haven't particularly excited really in the in in the last sort of two or three years, but, um, but, but a result like that to see them into the knockout phase of the competition, I think just creates a different mentality when you go into that round of 16. Um, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of bounce, perhaps, and like I don't think they've got the quality to go far, but an amazing standalone result, if if nothing else. The the thing I kind of feel for is Venezuelan football hasn't really had anything to shout about for a long period of time, and so for Tachira to not be able to squeeze into the Libertadores knockout stage, you know, it it would have been great for the country's football to have a representative in there. But you cannot argue with a side that puts up six goals and wins by a four-goal margin when they need it. And mm. you only have yourself to blame if you're conceding six. We've said it on this podcast already this year. If you're conceding that many goals, there are no excuses at that point. It's just sure. you've had an absolute shocker and maybe you get the result that you deserve in the end of not going through into the knockout stages. And hey, I mean, we don't know. Not too many of our friends, Oli, are Deportivo Tachira fans, but what a wild seven days. If you're a Deportivo Tachira <laughs> fan, I mean, you beat Always Ready 7-2. And then the next match, when you, you know, you lose to, That is a crazy, crazy uh, 
week of football to be a fan of those, um, to, to be a fan of Deportivo Tachio. Group B then Inter topped the group with 10 points. Olympia qualified with nine. Deportivo Tachio just miss out in terms of Libertadores qualification, but they take a place in the Commable Sudamericana knockout phase. It'll be interesting to see them there, Ollie, and always ready, bottom of the group. Um, group Surprising C. that, to be honest, for always ready, considering, again, they were impressive. Like, I, I just surprised that they end up finish rock bottom rather than making at least a third spot. The fight was always there from the Bolivians. They just had a couple of bad results at bad points in this group. Yeah, and you look, you know, you finish with seven points. It's not a, it's not a terrible haul when you when you look up and down with what like, uh, well, we can talk about River a little bit later. But you know, there's some clubs that kind of snuck through, and you think, how did you get through? And uh, as you say, like always ready. They, they weren't terrible at all and it was a, it was a tight group right until they're, the end. they're the teams that wear trainers to the club and still somehow get let in <laughs> those sorts of teams group C Barcelona 3 Santos 1 uh, Damien Diaz my goodness uh, bra- his first ever brace in the Libertadores he's 35 years of age now he's just been exceptional in the group stages you know, I've banged on him. I've banged on about him enough. I think, Ollie, so I'm not going to eulogise too much more. But it's just great to great to see him scoring goals and, and dictating games, and just having fun out there. Like the smile on his face after he bags a second is is amazing. Um, yeah, it's a good win for Barcelona, who had already qualified coming into the final round of, of fixtures. Uh, Santos drop into the to the Commonwealth Sudamericana. But this Barcelona side, Ollie, we. You know, we, we've, we've talked about what there is to like about it and we talked a lot about the players and we kind of went through their 11 and said there's something there from back to front to 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 suggest that they could, you know, maybe sneak a big result in the last 16. But I also think maybe we haven't referenced enough the coach, Fabian Bustos, and he won the league with little Delphine in Ecuador by, you know, a small, a small club there. That was a magnificent achievement. Won the league then with Barcelona. And I don't know, like maybe we haven't given him enough credit for what he's managed to do with this Barcelona side in, in Group C um, and the cohesion that he's got with it. And uh, yeah, I just think he's he's obviously his credentials are, are there and, and he'll fancy a crack at the knockout stages. And just the way he's sort of patterned this Barcelona side together to, to, to be able to be complimented on them back to front, I think is a, is is a, is impressive. I think Bustos, yeah, for sure deserves a, a lot of the plaudits for particularly the style that his team play. It's very similar to the style that we fell in love with last year. It's just far more polished. It's, it is a side that, you know, we, we, we wondered when they lost Martinez that maybe there would be, you know, a problem for them scoring goals after he left and went off to Chinese football, I think it was. Um, but it hasn't been the case at all. Bustos has been able to find replacements and, and, and find and rework the system slightly. But it is very similar to last year. And it just looks like a team that when you go out and you get more experience in the Libertadores in these sorts of competitions and you come back the following year, you, you're just more prepared. You know more what to expect and the, maybe the travel doesn't feel as arduous because you know your routine for getting ready for games on the road and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think this is just like an inevitable evolution of this Barcelona side. They impressed short burst in the qualifying last year. Now they've impressed throughout the group stage this year. Are they going to impress going into the knockout stage? This is another new beast for them. They've never been in the knockout stage in the 21st century of uh, of the Libertadores. So, mm. you know, it's another new step for Bustos. It's another challenge going into the knockout stage. But I'm again, I'm not going to get too excited about a big win over Santos on home soil. Because as we've seen, this Santos side 
after being great in the qualifying, much like Barcelona last year, isn't ready for this group stage. Not ready for the opposition that they faced in this group at all. Haven't been ready really for Barcelona, beaten both times by them. Weren't ready ready for Boca in this group either. It's it's been tough on them. It's been a hard life lesson to learn for it for a young group. And they were completely outplayed. We have proof that Damian Diaz once again does run because he came bursting oh, yeah. into the box for the opener. But I like that he then he reverts back to walking pace to arrive late in the box for his second one. He's like, oh, I got you. You thought I was going to run again. No, I'll just slowly wander into the space at the top of the penalty area and tuck away the second. It, Barcelona were excellent. To, Absolutely to, excellent. To find a way to accommodate a player like Damian Diaz is impressive as well because he is such a luxury in the sense that he wants that extra touch on the ball. He wants to slow everything down and and you know pull the pull the strings he doesn't offer much defensively so for Bustos to find a way for this team to work with Damian Diaz in it I think is really impressive like it would be easy to say oh it would be easy only to look at kind of a statistical chart and Bustos be like oh my god he only did this percentage and these that you know the game is now so in terms of the analysis so like stats heavy and I'm sure you could look at certain charts and be like there's no place for Damian Diaz in the team it doesn't make sense statistically to what I want to achieve and there's just that you know, it's the piano, uh, you know, you need you need 10, 10 players to move the piano and want to play it, that kind of thing. Like Just to have that, I think, <laughs> is, um, is is so cool. And just a word, I've mentioned this before, but I do think it's worth saying again about Carlos Garces scoring, the, scoring his three goals in the first three games and the opening goal in those games. That really set Barcelona up in Group C. And um, yeah, and I think he's led the line really well um, whenever I've seen him in, in this group. So yeah, I'm excited, man. I mean, I think... We could talk about the last 16 as we go through the groups towards the end. But, um, I, you know, I'm excited. It, I, I'm a, We're both complete neutrals in this whole thing. But if you said, who do you want to win the Libertadores this year? I'd probably say Barcelona. Just because it's not an RG or, or, or a Brazilian side. And they're the only side that I think have got a sniff really outside uh, the big boys. So, yeah, I mean, I hope they go far. Yeah, uh, the Damian Diaz thing as well, just to go back to praising Fabian Bustos, give him a last little bit of an applaud before we uh, move on to uh, the Boca Juniors game, is interesting how he's moved him as well this week, at least, to be alongside Gassius in the mm. in the front line as opposed to playing the number 10 role behind with two wingers either side of him supporting from the flanks for Gassius. It, it Yeah, it's... The ability to move Damian Diaz around and still get very effective performances, I think highlights both the quality of Diaz and the tactical ability of Bustos to get plenty out of this side in different ways. And again, I think that comes from just experience and being with the side a little bit longer and playing in this competition for a second straight year in a row. Yeah, let's... Let's see. Look, I've hitched a bandwagon to Ecuadorian football teams before. With Santos out of the group and out of the competition, mm. you know, that's my prediction for the tournament gone. So I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm playing with house money at this point. I can say whatever I want in terms of predictions now. A new team every week. To be fair to Oliver Wilson... He predicts Santos are going to win it, and the next day, Jefferson Soteldo, by far their best player, you know, gets sold. That was uh, that was an unfortunate timing. But um, all right, let's talk about Boca Juniors. Boca three, the strongest uh, nil. Yeah, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Boca three, the strongest nil. Uh, Boca had only scored three goals in the opening five games in Group C, and they doubled their tally. Um, with a 3-0 victory, I mean, the strongest weren't very good, frankly. Almendra scores a really nice goal to open the scoring for Boca. Um, and then Sebastian Vigia gets his third goal of the group, I think. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and and sets up the, the the final goal, which is a Valverde own goal in the end. Again, like everything good's coming through Sebastian Fischer. It's it's got to be really for Boca. It's a game that well they, they entered the final round of fixtures in in the match week, Ollie. Not not being certain of qualification, so they'll be pleased to get over the line. I don't think I've seen Miguel Angel Russo celebrate like that. The first goal from Almendra, which was so early on after three minutes, was it? Yeah. It just settled those nerves, and, and you could see that it was a big, big celebration from the boss on the touchline. I just thought, yeah, he he knows you can't you can't be failing to qualify from the you know if they'd failed to qualify from the group, he might have been gone. So, um, so it was a big moment early on, and, and Boca cruised through in the end. Yeah, great way to calm them down, particularly the the manner of the goal. Everybody loves a bar and in first time yeah. hit from the top of the box. You you can't get any better than that, and he catches it perfectly. It's particularly interesting as well that like Tevez had kind of been trying something a little more intricate on the edge of the area, and again it didn't come off. And again, much like the goal we were talking about earlier, it's like well, just somebody put your foot through it. If you can get it through the crowd of bodies, you got half a chance, and it's a spectacular finish. Uh, I want to give credit to Fabra for the build up play for the Vija goal because. It's a simple tap-in for Vija from close range and, and he comes and shows his quality perhaps later on when he ends up providing the service that gets turned in for the own goal. But it was um, it was Fabra's busy work down on the left-hand side of the 18-yard box get down to the byline and get that pullback that was real quality um, to set up the goal in the end. And I don't know, I, I like I really like this Boca back line playing with three at the back. You know, it, it allowed... Capaldo and Fabra to play that box-to-box wing-back role as opposed to being stuck necessarily being more rigid in a left-back and right-back situation respectively. So uh, this is something that we haven't seen too much from Miguel Angel Russo of changing the formation and, and, and moving away from perhaps the 4-4-2 or the 4-2-3-1 that we've seen Boca use when Tevez just drops deeper off a centre-forward that's rarely doing anything. So this might be the way forward for Boca. It, it smells a lot of River Plate over the years. Okay. Also think, same yeah, way? yeah, I can see, I can see that. Um, I also think that with the fullbacks they've got, and you speak to any Boca fans, they focus on the fullbacks almost as much as they focus on their lack of striker. Right? They're really not happy Boca fans with the fullbacks they've got at the club. I've never seen it personally as the main problem with Boca. I think the striker is the main issue, but. Um, you know, but uh, I think maybe playing that way suits the fullbacks they've got, right? So you're giving the likes of Fabra, not, I mean, clearly there's still defensive responsibilities, but it just shores it up. It just gives, as you say, it gives that extra freedom for those fullbacks to do what they're better at. Um, yeah, And I think as well with Lisandro Lopez and Carlos Izquierdos, they're both good enough centre-backs that you can stick another okay defender between them. It doesn't sure. have to be another player that's anything too special. And Izquierdos and Lopez have played enough with each other they know each other's movements. They can cover for each other and they can cover up any mistakes perhaps from another centre-back in between them. And, you know, Capaldo, I, I don't think I've ever really considered him as a fullback. He, he's more of a midfielder to me and, and loves to get forward. So this certainly for him, rather than playing any sort of fullback role, he can support defensively and get back. But as you say, yeah, it's that freedom to allow them to go forward and be let loose. Very... Very River Plate, very Barcelona with the fullbacks, you know, getting them up and down the field. Yeah. And look, this might be a, a turn for the better for, for Boca. They knew they needed to score goals in this game just to make sure and ensure they stayed uh, and go in through the group in second place. We were worried a little bit last week when we were talking about this game. I've dismissed the strongest a lot, but I know you kind of said it could still be tricky. And so what does Miguel Angel Russo do? He changes the system slightly, gets some more attacking, get their early goal to settle things down. This might be a turn for the more attacking best for Boca Juniors. It'd be interesting to see how they approach 
the first leg of their first knockout stage game in the round of 16 and if this actually stays as the system that they go with or if they revert back to type. Only conceded two goals in the group stages in six games, Oli. Joint best defensive record in the group stages. I think Racing and San Paolo also only conceded two. I mean, they only scored six in six games and three in the in the last game. But, you know, we know what Boca are good at and we know what they're not good at. So I guess you're right. It's just about Russo finding a way to to really double down on, on, on the strengths that they've got. Um, so Barcelona and Boca safely into the, the last 16 and Santos go into the Sudamericana. I'm actually, I'm looking forward to the supplementary pod, Oli, because some of those sides drop down. I mean, it makes for a, a very strong looking uh, last 16. I mean, you must be quite excited looking at some of these clubs that are dropping in. There's some enjoyable ties to be had mm. potentially in this group stage, uh, in the knockout stage, sorry. And uh, look, I won't reveal everything that happened this week on this <laughs> podcast for sure, but it was... There was some thrilling thrilling action in the Sudamericana this week and it didn't disappoint. I mean, the only fear is Gremio. Like, they're so good. And Douglas Costa coming in as well, I mean. Mm. But, yeah, let's uh, let's not yeah, digress yeah. away to the uh, the sure. secondary tournament for the moment. Sure. Just a uh, just quick last thing on um, on Boca as well. The, the confidence they had, could, once they got the third, they barely created another chance. The confidence to be able to be like, well, we'll just keep the ball. There's no point exerting ourselves too much anymore. We can make some changes. It, it's a luxury that gets afforded to very few sides in the Copa Libertadores in match day six, unless you've already wrapped up your group. So midway through that game, just, all right, settle things down, calm it down a bit. And obviously with the league um, the league kind of done and dusted for Boca as well. I know the other cups in Argentina will come into play, but... Unlike the Brazilian sides, the Argentinian clubs are going to have a little chance to just be a bit more rested as well. I know we've got the Copa America coming up this summer and that's going to pause play domestically in South America. But it's not like the game's going to be coming thick and fast going into the knockout stage for the Argentinian sides. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good time, I think, to be a Boca fan uh, and possibly a River fan, depending on how you feel about their chances this year, particularly those two going into the knockout stages. Group D. Let's start with River. River 1, Fluminense 3. Um, what a weird group stage for River, Ollie. I mean, what a bizarre... So, of course, last week we had them playing with midfielder Enzo Perez in goal and no substitutes as they beat Santa Fe. Um, yeah, I mean, Gashada always finds a way to squeeze through the groups, but I don't think he can you know, take much credit, really, for what's been a, a pretty patchy, bizarre... Yes, there's caveats, yes, there's excuses, but... Um, you know, it's been an odd way to qualify for River Plate. But qualify they have. River 1, Fluminense 3. Um, Nene scoring for Fluminense, Oli. And, well, first of all, Fred was in fabulous form for, for Fluminense with, with uh, yeah, I mean, he's 37 years of age. But just the intelligence of the man, like, so creative as well. Just got such a great view of what's happening in front of him. Likes to kind of drop back and sit in the pocket a bit more. And I haven't... I haven't really followed all of Fred's career, so I can't remember. Obviously, I remember him banging in goals for Leon, but uh, but I can't remember kind of the style of play he had. But certainly now he's he's dropping a little bit deeper and just allowing players to move in front of him and 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 find them. But sorry, just on Nene, thirty nine years and three hundred and ten days old. I mean, you know, getting pretty close to forty. His last goal in the Libertadores was back in two thousand and three. And he scores again in 2021. So amazing gap, really, between the... Between, <laughs> Do you like, think you give up as a forward gap. at that point? Like, if, if, from 2003 to 2013, you haven't scored in Libertadores for 10 years at that point, regardless of how many times you've been in it. Do you think... That's probably... I wonder if it's going to happen again. 
you know like is it because what he'll be around about 26 at that age as well and you think oh have I has it slipped away am I not no because I think it's like a path that's so well trodden as in like you start you play in the Libertadores maybe like you go abroad you do whatever like and then you come back and and because now as a striker in the Libertadores you've literally like 40 is the cut-off point as we yeah, established I think a few pods ago that like 40 is the point where and that that gives you that's a goalkeeper's career that you know so that's a two-decade career whereas uh it's only 50 days though he's only got 50 days now about <laughs> that before he hits 40 so okay so well ollie but i think that's still just about means the round of 16 he'll be all right for yeah which the, you know probably yeah. i know it's not settled yet but we're talking <laughs> mid-july so yeah like you're talking sort of 40 50, so he might squeeze in um he might squeeze in a goal in the, in the first leg, at least. Of that last won't season. score in the final. 100% won't score in the final if they get it. Well, he'll got to retire when he is yeah. Um, yeah, so Nene scored. Um, listen, this was a game where, where Rivers' qualification was very much in the balance, as, as we'll find out when we talk about the Santa Fe junior result. Um, Girotti scored late on for River, but um, then Iago Felipe scored to make it 3-1 after Caio Palista actually had opened the scoring for Fluminense. So they won 3-1. I mean, what can you say, Oli, about River, first of all? They have gone through because it was Santa Fe nil, junior nil, but not particularly pretty from, from Gachado or River. Why can't they do it against Brazilian sides in the Monumental? Because this now, they haven't beaten a Brazilian side now yeah. in seven games in the Monumental. Last time was in 2006 with Corinthians. So what Brazilian sides are coming into a real dominance, we think, at the moment in the South American continent. But it hasn't been like that necessarily for the last six meetings that River have faced Brazilian sides on home soil. So what is it about River and Brazilian sides that just doesn't gel at home? It's difficult because... I think like it would be fair enough to look at this performance in isolation and be like, look, they've had like a COVID outbreak in the squad. They had they had like Enzo Perez playing in goal last week. It'd be easy to say, look, we can't take too much from this game. They've just found a way to get through the group stages. But as you say, when you tally it up to the last few years, you know, when Gashadas had better squads, fully fit squads, pre-pandemic, all this, and they still couldn't get it done. So I don't know, mate, to be honest. I mean, unless the, the rise of Brazilian clubs and this dominance that we think is going to happen um, was already, the seeds were already in place with big Brazilian sides mm. coming in and, and getting, you know, results at the Monumental just prior to that. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's, River... Yeah, sorry, go for it. No, it's, it's just... Yeah, it's just interesting if that becomes maybe a problem that we've talked about the the hangover Boca have from their last Libertadores victory and the success of River and you can link the, it's very easy to make these kind of as you say snap judgments and link them together but does that then worry you about knockout stage football against potential Brazilian opposition and and does that linger in the mind and you know it, there's just then that mental side of the game comes into it a little bit more considering as well this ropey group stage that River have had and look getting on the dance floors all we need to do at the end of the day, but they do need to strut their stuff at some point. We haven't seen them strut their stuff at some point. So, <laughs> I think, I mean, it's just been so chaotic. We're so used to that consistency with River, Ollie. We're so used to the fact that they're kind of an outlier in the fact that they have that consistency of a coach. And the last two or three years, they've had more or less the same group of players. Whenever a big name leaves, Gosh, Shadow somehow tweaks and finds a way, but he doesn't overhaul. He just finds a way to 
to move things around and, and keep the kind of the Jenga stack just about in place. Mm. But I think this 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 year, because of the pandemic and players leaving, he hasn't even had a chance to kind of put everything back together. It's just this mad chaos of different events and, and what's happened. Every time I every time River played like an hour before kickoff, I look at the River team, I'm like, what? what? And it's always, you know, injuries and COVID and, and madness. But there just hasn't been any kind of consistency whatsoever. You know, one highlight, I think, has been seeing Julian Alvarez and uh, Girotti. And Girotti scored. And I think those two, they're... You know, the both of them look 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 pretty exciting, and, and I really hope that one or both can produce a big performance in the knockout phase. But yeah, I mean that settled eleven that we're used to seeing just has been smashed not been to there pieces. at all. No. Yeah, could believe they were played off the park though by Fluminense. Yeah, they were. But full credit yeah. to the Brazilians; yeah. they were, they were excellent. I mean, they they could have had a, a lot more. Uh, Iago Felipe had a an effort that hit the top of the crossbar. Uh, River were defending off the line at points as well, and you know, last ditch clearances Carrascal in fairness to River had a wonderful moment where he weaves between two defenders and strikes the frame of the goal um, and of course as you mentioned Girotti has this nice finish to add to his goal tally uh, and, and he, and, he and Alvarez perhaps could be a great front too would you have the guts to drop Borre going into the knockout stage is a big question but but it, yeah they were River were well and truly beaten on home soil this wasn't a case of like Fluminense snatching it or anything they they were really good the Brazilians and they've got better I think as the tournament's gone on as well mm. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, Alvarez, and I think it's one of Alvarez and Girotti to to play probably. Matias Suarez, though, barely seen him. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I can't remember him being on the pitch. I'm sure, I don't know if he's had minutes this uh, group stage, but every time I look at their team sheet, I'm like, yeah, no, still Matias Suarez are on the bench or in and out. And um, yeah, there's definitely an opportunity to to play alongside Borre for one of Girotti or Al- Alvarez. Or you can shift either of them slightly wide. Maybe Alvarez more um, is more suited to, to being played out on the right-hand side. But... River could have gone out, probably should have gone out, because if Junior had beaten Santa Fe, they would go through, Oli. Um, Santa Fe nil, Junior nil. It's just a case of missed chances, really, from both sides in this game. Santa Fe had opportunities as well, but for Junior, I mean, the chances they had. And, and the chances fell to the man you'd want them to fall to as well, Miguel Borjos. You know, been banging in the goals in the group stages, missed a couple of great chances. Um, and yeah, and Junior, should, they should have gone through. You know, R- River didn't really deserve to go through based on their performances and and for Junior not to take those opportunities and get through that would be a huge disappointment for them I really thought you were going to say the chances fell to the man that you want to have them falling to Sebastian Vera the goalkeeper who strikes <laughs> the frame of the goal with a free kick in the first yeah. half for Junior and of course <laughs> well yeah we saw him having to go from the halfway line last week yeah. as well I mean this is a we joked about it being a throwback to Schillever, but yeah, okay, we've actually got a Schillever between the posts. This is a guy that really fancies himself at set pieces. Yeah, Borja has one cleared off the line. Uh, Viafora hits the bar. Uh, Vasquez has a shot cleared off the line. I mean, just so many chances for Junior in this game to to get just the one goal that they needed. Um, Vera had an incredible save as well in the second half to deny Jorge Ramos from point blank range, which was just unbelievable I mean the reactions on it there's what two yards between the two players as the ball comes into the box and and finds Ramos and I couldn't tell how much of a clean connection he got because he had two defenders kind of sandwiching him at the time as well which made it difficult for the forward but Vera's just reaction save moving to his left gets back to his right and yeah absolute quality but they should have gone through the Colombians they should have won they should have gone through uh, the junior that is not uh, sure, independent yeah. Santa Fe just could clarify that 
and I think it's frustrating for them. And it's another year that, you know, at least they've lived up to the prowess of getting close to qualifying for the knockout stage as they have been built up for the last three years now. But it's it's still not quite there. And there aren't many things that you can say that really went against them. There were just times when they didn't get the results that they needed. And tonight was one of them. And you need to get one good result on the road a lot of the times in the Libertadores to have that chance to go through. And it, it just didn't come to fruition in the end. Mm. Fluminense topped the group then in the ends. River in second. Those two go through to the last 16. Junior into the comparable Sudamericana Santa Fe without a win bottom of the group. Group E. Racing 3, Rentistas nil. Um, well, first of all, Racing and Sao Paulo both came into uh, the final rounds already qualified. But um, Racing beat Rentistas 3-0. Thomas Chankalai hat-trick. Five goals in the group stages for him. It's a really smart hat-trick as well. I love the first one, Oli. I just love that like touch to take him, yes, wide, yeah. but away from his man. Because he's still got that confidence that even if he goes wide, he can still get a snap strike in. And, and he does. And um, yeah, I mean, the keeper's at fault for is it the second or the third. I can't remember. It slips through the keeper's um, Rossi uh, in goal for Antista. Slips yeah, through the second, yeah. The second one, yeah. Um, but it's listen, a fault for the first. You shouldn't get beaten at the near post like that. Oh, it's tight in there. It's, it's an, I, think okay, it's so, defenders, I think the defenders at fault there. The defender's at fault, but the angle that Chankalai has and the keeper needs to make himself that little bit bigger, I think. I think getting beaten from that angle, you, I'd still point a finger of blame. I, I, I wrote pretty much exactly what you said. I just wrote ne next to Chankalai's name, touch, turn, finish, because it mm. was perfect. But yeah, I think, Rossi, I think Rossi will be annoyed in himself for being beaten from that angle. Let's put it that way. Maybe if he's a harsh critic on himself, even more frustrated than, than I am with his no, performance, fair, to be honest. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> Young keeper, but the, yeah, the second's really, really poor. Um, do, uh, do you, I was going to say, do you know, and I think you might know this because you might have been about to say that, but Chankler, of course, with the hat-trick, do you know who the last Racing Club player was to get a hat-trick in the Libertadores? No. Lautaro Martinez. Ooh, that's fun. Last, yeah, last racing player with a hat trick. So it's, you know, good hey, footsteps to be following in. It's hard to do. Yeah, like it's hard to do. You're scoring a hat trick on the in, on the biggest stage, and um, yeah, he's got ten goals and twenty games for Racing. I mean, he's obviously quality. Um, the keeper as well for Racing, uh, Gabriel Arias. I think he continues this run. Is it four matches, or it's it's um it's a hell of a long time since he conceded a goal, saved the penalty as well. Um, yeah, Arias really impressive between the sticks for. For Racing, he only conceded two goals in, in the group stage, same as San Paolo, actually. Uh, and they go through. Um, yeah, San Paolo, three, Sporting Cristal, nil, Oli, if you didn't have any more thoughts on Racing. No, no more up. thoughts on Racing. Confident victory. Frustrating yeah. for Antistas because it's probably their worst performance in what could have been their biggest game in terms of how the rest of the competition or comable competitions could go for them, but not to be the case. Obviously, finishing bottom of the group as Sporting Cristal get heavily thumped, but stay in third spot. Bit of a humbling for Rentistas on the Libertadores debut this year. Like, I know they're a small club and it's the first time in the competition and that, you know, they should, there are accolades to come from, from just being a participant. But, you know, no wins from six games, only scored two goals in six games. You know, it's not fantastic. It doesn't match their performances, I'll say that. Sure, there's been times I, when, yeah. Well, I just think as well, like, that's the sign, particularly this performance this week, of a club that, initially start with that well it doesn't matter we've got 
we're first time in the tournament. Let's just see how we do. We got into this tournament in such a weird way with the way that the the, the season fell in Uruguay. And then you've got something to play for that's meaningful. And it's really different to try and go from a focus of it doesn't matter and no pressure football to suddenly, oh, actually, we've got a bit of something on our shoulders here going into the last game. And it just, everything gets a little tighter. It's a little a little less free-flowing and fluid. And, and they never got out of their shell at all against Racing Club, albeit against a Racing Club side that were very dominant. I guess I do have something more to say about Racing Club. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Sao Paulo 3, Sporting Cristal 0. Um, again, I mean, listen, this was, this was straightforward for... Sao Paulo just lifted the, the state championship title um, in Brazil at the weekend. Uh, what have I got to say from this? Lovely goal from João Rojas. Maybe the goal of the week, I thought. Lovely uh, strike mm. from him. Um, Sporting Cristal weren't very good. Sao Paulo had so many chances. Could have been more than 3-0, really. And, and Hernan Crespo picking up silverware with Sao Paulo with that state championship title. First silverware in nine years for, for the club. Um, or yeah, you know that's nice to to get that under the belt, Ollie, so early to break that to break that run of nearly a decade without a trophy in his first what few months in charge, and uh, yeah, they'll, they'll go into the last sixteen full of confidence. And look, I was very harsh. We were talking obviously away from the podcast in midweek, and I was a bit like, isn't it just a bit like the way they were celebrating the regional oh, the, tournament, sure. which generally isn't to me. I still can't get. I know it, it, it carries a fair bit of weight still in Brazilian football, particularly some of the regional tournaments and certainly the one that Sao Paulo are in because it's a, there's a lot of good sides that they have to play potentially in that tournament uh, and big names to, to end up beating. But also the the manner in which it was celebrated to me was a bit like over the top of like, okay, that's nice, but let's move on to the next one. It, it feels like less than a League Cup, if to put it in English terms, than, you- than anything for me. Do you think, Ollie, that we just can't comprehend the geography Definitely. of Brazil? Yeah. Definitely. So we can't like get it, our heads around it at all, this. It, no, because we're, you know, we're from England and we all see Europe, which is a bunch of similar sized countries. And we see it like that, whereas Brazil is 350 million people or 300 million people, which is just unfathomable. And then the sheer scale of the country. And that's what makes those states actually hold a lot of weight because they're so big that there's all these narratives within. Yeah. So maybe like just just two Englishmen sort of don't really get Brazilian geography and therefore why the state championship is important. And also there's no time to bask in the glory and enjoy that moment because the Brazilian league kicked off this weekend. So there's no, you know, you win a league title and the regional tournament is like a league title almost because there are a number of games. Some of them go into a knockout stage. Most of them do. And you have this final. Um, So, but there is no kind of oh the success coming into the end of the season it's just okay that's the trophy now on to this next one and then there's the break obviously this summer with the Copa America in the Brazilian Serie A midway through so it's really odd to have like this celebration and then immediately you're getting straight back down to what seems like a more important league title than the regional tournament so but look great for Hernan Crespo and his side and then they get this 3-0 victory with a, a, a patchy starting 11 certainly not their first team uh, reserve goalkeeper in a, a bit of a reserve makeshift front line as well for Sao Paulo. Very convincing, 65% possession for Sao Paulo. Poor sporting Cristal couldn't really get a touch, couldn't really get a chance. And, and I wouldn't say they're fortunate to go through because, again, they're a team that have at least entertained when they've played in this tournament at times, sporting Cristal. So they probably deserve just overall on the balance of it the, the third spot in the group. 
but it was never really about these other two sides in third and fourth in this group. It was all about seeing who would go through Sao Paulo or Racing as the group winner. And I think Racing have edged it in terms of the quality of play. I think Sao Paulo started really brightly, but we saw when these two sides met, Racing just look a little bit more at home yeah. in the Libertadores, particularly against the Brazilians in this group. Yeah, so Racing and Sao Paulo through into the last 16. Group F. Um, Nacional 2, Argentinos Juniors nil. Oli's got a little smile on his face already. Do you enjoy this uh, one, Oli? <laughs> I mean... Well, what, what about pulling out a performance way too late in the game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're very impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's too, too late for sure. Um, but, you know, they're impressive. Brian Ocampo I was reading an article about him, actually. And from what I've seen, certainly one of the best players in Uruguayan football right now. Um, uh, yeah, scores and scores and creates a goal for, for Nacional. Um, Bagesio opens the scoring pretty late in 73 minutes. Of course, Bagesio scored that that uh, that hat-trick, didn't he? On, he scored a hat-trick, yeah, on match mm. week. Uh, in the, it was in the 4-4. The 4-4. Against Atletico Nacional, or match week two, that was. Um, but yeah, but Nacional 2-0 winners. Um, yeah, Brian Ocampo, I mean, 21 years of age, looks looks like the real deal to me. Yeah, it was quality. I mean, he and uh, Bagesio were the only two threats that Nacional had the whole game, but the threat that they created, the the combination, they, they interlinked really well for the, for Bagesio's goal. Uh, the reason why I was smiling is because next to Bagesio, I've just got written thick... I mean, he is a stocky boy, isn't he? There? <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a yeah. The wardrobe. He's just a walking oblong, thick oblong. Just yeah. yeah. Look, he gets his goal. Uh, Ocampo second is um, a lovely volley mm. from the edge of the area uh, to make it two nil. Argentina's junior is not at full strength, of course. Hauchi uh, suspended anyway because of that. <laughs> just wild red card last week Great, man. Uh, uh, but uh, not a full strength side anyway uh, being put out by Argentinos Juniors which is fair enough they were already going to top the group and everybody else was was fighting for the scraps and, and Nacional do get a result that then put some pressure obviously those games being played at the same time as on Católica and Atletico Nacional in the other game as well just to see who would get that second spot in the group? I, I was just surprised, as I say, that the Uruguayans finally decided to... This is probably a, a more attacking performance than we saw throughout the last year's Libertadores as well, in terms of actually looking quality and creating chances. I, I can't remember Nacional entertaining as much as they have done uh, any time, really, watching them. They've always been a very drab side, I've found, in the last three years of really covering this tournament. And then, yeah, they, they come up trumps, or they think they've come up trumps, with a victory on home soil against Argentina's juniors taking it easy. And still, still not good enough to make the knockout stage, which I think, without sounding too horrible, is justice. Is it not? Yeah, I mean they weren't good enough. I don't think over the course of the, you know, over the course of the group. So, what do you think? We're too harsh on clubs that aren't from Argentina and Brazil because we want we want there to be more competition, right? So therefore, we're so, we're harsh on them because we we think why can't they compete and. Clearly, there's the very obvious economic answer of why they can't compete, but you can't always use that as the golden caveat. So you have to pick apart these other sides and to to hope and expect that they can at some point reach the platform of these big Brazilian clubs, despite of the fact, despite the fact there's there's this massive um, you know financial imbalance. 
Well, also, I think, particularly from watching so many games, the the teams that end up standing out are the teams that really shine and are pleasing on the eye. Mm. Because you're trying to watch as many games and as many highlight packages as you can to get the full gist when you're covering a tournament like this of, of what's really gone on in every single game. And it is, I mean, it's a very tough thing to do, not to pat ourselves on the back too much or anything, but it is it is quite wild to try and stay abreast of everything that's running through 16 games in a week. The group stage is, is pretty mad. And then when a side like Nacional, who has such a big reputation, turns up and week in, week out, there's nothing that's really catching your eye. And, you know, thankfully for Ocampo this week, he looked wonderful and was effervescent on the field. And, and that was then a, a thing that really made him stand out for once. But if they don't, then you're a bit like, that's just another Nacional game that ends up either in a 1-0 win or loss. It, it, nothing much changes. I just love you patting yourself on the back for watching loads of football, Lolly. Like, mean... There have been some real heroes in the pandemic, but Oliver Wilson consuming plenty of games of football is uh, <laughs> certainly up there. You should have heard him pre-pod saying, deadpan, look, I don't mean to be arrogant, but my seasoning yesterday and the barbecue was fantastic. That was a, that was a great moment. Um, Universidad Catolica 2. Full of humility, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Universidad Catolica 2, Atletico Nacional, nil. Um, Universidad Católica qualify in second spot in Group F. Um, a really, really big win for them. Luciano Awed scoring and Diego Valencia as well. Uh, yeah, Oli, they, <coughs> they go through to the last 16. Atletico Nacional can't score. So that... four games in a row without a goal. It's, mm-hmm. it's If you can't score, you're not going through in this tournament. <laughs> well, no. It's very simple. Football is a very simple game. If you cannot That's score... That's what Ollie's found from watching all the game. <laughs> all, all let me give you the big takeaway. Yeah. yeah, if you don't score goals, you're probably not going to progress in tournament football. It's, it seems a difficult one that actually Atletico Nacional haven't got their head around in this group stage. <laughs> uh, they've, they've, it's four straight, as I say, without scoring. They haven't done that since a combination of the 1975s and 77 tournaments. So it's not like this is... a consistent problem for Atletico Nacional when they're in the Libertadores that they can't find goals or anything but yeah they're just well and truly beaten I mean Catolica probably just about the best of the rest in this group in a group that doesn't reek of strength and quality and not to do a disservice but you wouldn't imagine that any of the sides coming out of this group are likely candidates I mean if you've still got the betting odds up I'd love to know what Argentina's juniors odds are right now because they're not going to be anywhere near six to one let alone ten to one so I mean, I wouldn't put a pound on a hundred to one. I don't think. No, can't see it. Wouldn't put any money on any of these players, any of these teams <laughs> getting through. But Catolica, probably, as I say, probably the best of the rest in this group. Um, and these are probably the rest going into the last sixteen. Not to be, yeah, too harsh, but I keep saying that and driving the. No, no, I, I, I get it. <laughs> Argentinos Juniors, then Universidad Catolica, go through to the last sixteen. Nacional into the Sudamericana, um, and only it's just you know it's great to have. It would be great to have a Uruguayan club in the final with it being played in Montevideo. That's that's what I'm hoping for in the Sudamericana. Plenty more on that to come, though, in the, in the supplementary. Um, group G. Um, let me just rattle past uh, Flamengo, nil, Velasarsfield, nil, because not much happened in this one, really. Uh, Georgi Andreescaeta hit the post. Um, he scored a great goal in the reverse fixture between the pair. Flamengo were already qualified coming into this contest. So uh, there was a bit of resting and rotating. But um, yeah, they had a few chances. Vélez didn't really do too much. Nil-nil on the night. And I, whenever I think about Flamengo, Oli, I do realise that I don't. I only compare them with Palmeiras. 
it's almost like that's the well, obviously, because Palmeiras are the defending champions and they look so good this year, but that is the only marker to which I'm prepared to um, compare Flamengo to. So even when they haven't done that badly, it's just you always just immediately look at how Palmeiras are doing because that's cle- they're clearly the two best clubs in the competition. So, mm. yeah. Um, but yeah, not too much to say from this one, I don't think. Uh, Vela's erratic, scrambled defending, but do the job. Flamengo looked weak on defending set pieces, which is just something to keep an eye out going into the knockout stage. That's where Vela's had the best of their chances. And a little fun fact for you, it is only the second time in Libertadores history that Flamengo have drawn nil-nil in the Maracanã. 62 games in the Maracanã in the Libertadores for Flamengo. 43 victories, 10 draws, 9 losses, 2 nil-nils. That's awesome. They they normally score. I mean, we said it every, we've said it every week, they will always score and then they didn't. And I think you you give Velez a lot of credit. It wasn't classy. It wasn't pretty defending. There was some real wild uh, goalkeeping by Lucas Hoyos at times. But Mauricio Pellegrino has found a way to thwart Flamengo mm. on home soil. Not easy to do. Um, and in the other game, Liga de Quito 5, Union La Calera 2. Um, it's been an odd group, really, I think, for, for Liga de Quito. Yeah. Uh, and when you just look at that, when you look at Liga de Quito in the group stages this this year, it's really the two games against Flamengo that just screwed them over. And more specifically, the late goals they conceded against Flamengo. In, in match week five, um, you know, uh, Flamengo had a late equaliser. And then when they played them at in Ecuador... Uh, you know, Flamengo scored a late goal with, with Gabby Goal in on 85 minutes. So, yes, those two results really that have screwed uh, Liga de Quito over. In terms of this game, Billy Arce has had a good a group stage, scored a brace, four goals in the groups for him. Um, Union Lacalera, I mean, they just haven't been very impressive throughout the group stages and it's a comfortable win um, comfortable win for, for the Ecuadorians. Yeah, weird how it's a terrible defeat, yet um, Saez, Sebastian Saez's two goals were both Amazing. excellent for them. Absolutely Amazing. awesome. And the one yeah. in the 92nd minute in particular, an absolute quality one, if you can get a chance to have a look at that anywhere, particularly on the official, uh, I would suggest, Libertadores YouTube channel, if you want to go and see the highlights of it. Yeah, um, also, the, sorry, just when, you, if, when you're looking at the highlights, Ollie, sometimes if you venture away from the official highlights, there's some mad stuff out there, isn't there? Like uh, yeah, watch... there's some odd replays and coverage that goes on. on... Yeah, it's just some, <laughs> some odd stuff. Yeah, sorry, go for it. Uh, you should definitely check out the highlights because this is the greatest own goal you'll ever see in your entire life from Matias Fernandez. I mean, if if a centre forward hits this, this is pinpoint execution, a cushioned volley with the with the instep over the keeper, lobs it over him. And because it's one of the first things that you see on any highlights package, you could be confused for a moment for thinking, oh wow, what? A- Wait, oh no, own goal, own goal. Yeah. My bad. Okay, he just uh, complete. There's no one near him really. He just completely loses his bearing. I don't know whether the way the ball's looping, I don't know, it's it's a mess. But yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, it's a phenomenal goal. Uh, and I, I've been enjoying the chest finish and chest passes in the last few weeks. And uh, Amaria with a little chest down to Munoz before the ball falls back to him for the third goal. And there, you know, there are some sides just keeping this going. You know how we were loving, well, loving or hating that the Penenka was the new way of taking penalties and then there was the hop skip and everything. I think the chest pass and shot are the new, is the new outfield play, the, the sign of a real classy player in the <laughs> Libertadores. <laughs> you only put it in with your chest. That's the way you go. <laughs> nice. But yeah, Liga de Quito convincing 5-2 victors. There's nothing really more to add than they at least find their way into the Commonwealth Sudamericana. 
another big club in the city of Americana, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, we'll yeah, we'll get into it in up, the yeah. supplementary pod. <laughs> okay, let's wrap <laughs> things up then with Group H. Um, yeah, Atlético Minero four, Deportivo La Guaira nil. Um, Hawks now got six goals in the group stages. Uh, you know, Atlético Minero were completely dominant. They scored four. They could have scored plenty more. Um, I yeah, it was it was a really it was a good display from the Brazilians and and Kuka to me, he just looks like he's having so much fun. I mean, this is based not it's just based on just watching his touchline reactions and I know he was very animated for Santos as well, but he just looks like he's having so much fun, Ollie. And of course, last time they won it in two thousand when they won it in two thousand thirteen, he was the boss, so he knows the club and. I, took Santos to the final last year but you've got to believe this year I think he really fancies this I've been impressed by them throughout the group stages you know what I really like about Hulk as well as well sorry just a kind of a scatter bomb of lots of different thoughts no, no, it's all good. <laughs> as, as all usual good. what I like about uh, Hulk is that when we've kind of glossed over all the veteran strikers in the group stages and we've talked about Bergesio, Santa Cruz and Tevez and Fred and all these I think we might be doing Hulk a bit of a disservice lumping him in with that group because actually Hulk's 34 years of age and he's just still utterly fantastic at this level. Like, he's not an old man banging in a few goals in the Libertadores. He's just a quality, quality player that is back. He hasn't come back just for this last kind of payday and last shot. This is a different scenario. And Hulk, he ties everything together. I mean, he's a different player to Fred and Fred's a few years older. But yeah, just so impressed by Hulk. Not just the six goals he scored, but just the ways he's kind of um he's dovetailed as well with with Nacho Fernandez, who still hasn't scored in the Libertadores for Atletico Minero, but my god, he's come close throughout the entire group as far as I can see. But he really is starting now the the, the lovely one two with Hulk, Nacho Fernandez and Hulk just just tying up for that um for that Hulk goal was was magnificent. And um yeah, I'm just really impressed and and I really, really like the look of them. It's one of the nicest goals of the group stage and it's a horrible adjective to use, but it is, it's just so wonderfully simple with brilliant, tu- brilliant touches go- running through it in terms of the weight of pass from Nacho Fernandez has to be so perfect to give it back to Hulk. But then his close control, moving at not great speed, he's not tearing through, but as quick as you can do when trying to weave through a crowded 18-yard box. And his touch and control getting past the defenders before the finish as well is absolutely awesome. I mean, it really is the standout goal of a, a, a comprehensive 4-0 victory. It's the standout goal, I think, of um, Atletico Mineiro's tournament so far. And I also think, I mean, you can you can really try and paint a narrative around this goal as well. Of it, It's the best piece of quality I think I've recognised from Nacho Fernandez in this tournament so far. Uh, albeit I haven't watched um, as many of the full-length Atletico Mineiro games. And I'm not going to lie, I really struggle to see numbers a lot when I'm watching them as well, just because sure. of the way the shirts are yeah, and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. but it's it's the standout moment for me for Nacho Fernandez that I've seen since he's arrived at this club playing in the Libertadores. And you could see it as perhaps this is a sign that the chemistry is really coming. But Hulk is, as well is creating goals for this team. And, and we said at the beginning of the tournament, a lot of people in Brazil are saying that Atletico Mineiro have got a great strong squad. You know, they've spent some money on building and developing this site. And then you, you add in a manager as well that's been there, done that and got the T-shirt, you know, won the, won the trophy with them in 2013. Not only that, but this is the first time since 2013 that they've won five in six games in the group stage. They're, 
there is a really entertaining storyline, which as a, as a football fan and uh, perhaps a bit of a football romantic, that you can just start to pin the tail on the donkey, so to speak, and, uh, and see it starting to build up and get created. And it will be one to watch going through. It, it, potentially another sign of the Brazilian dominance, but also a bit of a wild card that we may be underestimated at the start of this tournament, but they also have improved and grown. Um, let's also remember, though, that it's, this is against La Guaira who I've been... The best thing about them is their bright orange shirts. That's That's been the best thing about their tournament, I think. <laughs> yeah, the best and the only. The, <laughs> the, other, ga- the other game then uh, was Cerro Porteño 1, America de Cali 0. Cerro go into the last 16 of the of the Copa Libertadores. Enzo Jimenez with the goal. And Cerro Porteño qualify for the last 16, Oli. As expected, it should have been. Um, again, it's been quite a limp-wristed group, I think, outside of Atletico Mineiro. Serra have saved their best performances till the end. The the Enzo Jimenez goal is a w- very well-taken goal with a lovely, uh, again, turn and finish inside the 18-yard box and just lifting it into the far post. And and look, I, I'm not going to pretend I'm really excited about Serra Potenio like I was two years ago when they faced against River in the first round of the knockout stage. I, you thought an upset could happen then against probably the best side in South America at that point. And this year you go into the knockout stage thinking, Sarah Potenio, what can they do? Is there a performance in there that's really going to entertain and excite? And and anything can happen again on the road in the in the Libertadores for, for big sides when they go to the likes of Sarah Potenio, the group runners-up. But I, w- I would be surprised if they're going through the, the knockout stage considering the calibre of opposition that have been winning these groups uh, this year so far. But look, they do enough to get the job done. America de Cali go in the uh, in the third spot as expected. I think this group has played out exactly how we thought it would, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, that that wraps up the group stages then, Oli. Before we talk about our player, our favourite player of the, of the group stages, the draw which will take place on Tuesday. Is that the 1st of June? 2nd of June? 1st uh, of Ju- June. 1st of June. Beautiful. Um, yeah, pot one, Atletico Minero, Palmeiras, Racing, Barcelona, Flamengo, Argentinos, Juniors, Fluminense, Internacional, pot two, Sao Paulo, Boca, Vélez, Cerro, Defensa Justicia, River, Universidad Católica, and Olympia. We'll do, we'll do a, a bigger pod, Oli, before the round of 16, kind of really previewing all the matches and going, going into detail, maybe even a little, a quick pod um, after the draw too. But, player of the group stages, I... I listen the obvious ones that I'm not going to pick Honey clearly he's been fantastic we talked about him a lot playing with such a swagger playing like he wants to be the main man last year maybe it was all about the assist this year he's got six goals he just looks hungry and keen in the fantastic Palmeiras side Gabby goal also considered am I cheating here by listing loads of players that I don't eventually pick no, no, anyway. no, it's okay, it's okay. You're setting, <laughs> Consider- the, you're setting the tone for the wild card. I like it. Sure. Considered Gabby goal um, because, I, yeah, he's still just a complete machine. Six goals in, in the group stages. Considered Chankalai, not just for the hat trick, but listen, he's just he's just quality and I just really like the look of him. He's been a very important player in the group stages. Really considered Damian Diaz and Garces for, for the goals early on in the group. But for me, it goes to Hulk for reasons I've just spoken about. He's not this veteran striker coming back. He's actually just a player who's still very much in his prime, as far as what I can see. Um, the 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 relationship that he's got with Nacho Fernandez, 
I think we're really seeing it now, and I think it could. I think it's something that Atletico Mineiro and Kuka will build a lot of their will build a lot of their attacking impetus around that combination. And I think it's not just the the magnificence of the goal, but just you could just see it coming in the games coming up to that moment. So yeah, um, I love that combination. I love everything Hawks done. I just he's pumped up as well. Like he, I mean, he's screaming into the camera after the goals. He's kind of showing the muscles, and he he wants it. And uh, yeah, I think he's got some. Listen, they've had an easy group, you could say, Oli. But yeah, he's my player of the group because uh, I I just love what he's doing. How about you? So I was very close to picking a Flamengo player, uh, not necessarily Gabby goal, but I was going to say uh, Giorgio de Arascaeta mm. because. He's come up not only with some important goals, and maybe if he not struck the the frame of the goal this week and they got the victory with his strike, I might have been tipped over the top. The assists as well. He's created three goals in the group stage so far. Uh, he's put a couple on a plate for Gabby goal. And I think at the moment, if you took him out, particularly with Bruno Aniki, I know he didn't play this week, uh, but he has been far quieter than in the last two years in this tournament. I think if you took their Azcaeta out at the moment, out of Flamengo, Gabigol wouldn't necessarily get the same amount of service uh, and perhaps the same amount of space inside and the top of the 18-yard box and inside the penalty area. But I can't... I'm going to be really boring. It's, it's, it's Ronnie. He, he is the best player on the continent, yeah, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... I, I know it's really simple to say and you could, like, go and pick, like, a you know, Lovera has been wonderful for Racing Club, creating goals and... You know, you talk about Thomas Chankalai, who in the last three group games in particular has really come on for them and, and, and how impressive they've been. Walter Bow, uh, Defensory Justicia, is like another rogue one who's been so key to his side, particularly with Brian Romero out for the first three games of the competition. But it's Ronnie. He's, he's taken yeah. the continent by storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the fact he comes on after 73 minutes or so this week and then still gets two goals, albeit gifts, but he's still there, still gets a brace, still takes the headlines in a 6-0 victory. Yeah, he's he's the best, the best without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, that's is totally fair. And listen, <laughs> you know, Palmeiras scored twenty goals in the group stages. I'm just looking at it now, Oli. You know, the closest to them is Atletico Mineiro, five goals less of fifteen. And then everyone else, you got um, Flamengo got fourteen, and then um, you know everyone else is somewhere between you know eight and twelve or thirty. So Palmeiras. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? They're the best side. He's the best player. You you can't out hips to that. That just is what it is, right? We can't. I mean, you've moaned, not moaned, but you've pointed out (laughs) my niche in a niche before because South American football in English is niche. So so why why are we trying to go niche in a niche in a niche with anything else? Let's let's call it like it is. Straight down the middle. Straight back. Okay. All good. Um, But we go on before we go on to uh, the kind of coach of the group stages. Any player that you're looking forward to seeing in the last 16? Anyone to kind of look out for that would be a less obvious choice? Or any kind of storylines or players that you're really excited about seeing? I'm personally, um, that Girotti-Julian Alvarez combination for River. As I said, I don't think Gashada, when everyone's fit and he's got he's got that squad to work with, I don't think both of them are going to start. But that goal for Alvarez against Santa Fe was so was such a fantastic striker's goal that he's he's a player that I'm looking forward to seeing in the last 16. I wonder if this is the year, especially in River, need it this year, that, that he can produce a big moment. And anything that you're specifically looking forward to? 
Uh, I want to see the development of Defensor Justicia going into these knockout stages because we have wax lyrical about them and about how they have looked like a Libertadores team caliber this year despite the question marks around their defending, for instance. But I'm very interested to see what happens with the number of the players that are departing back to their lone clubs. I mean, Pizzini, for one, for instance, who has been really good in their creative play uh, and ran the show a long time last year in the Sudamericana. He will be going back to Independiente, for instance. They are uh, still going to have Brian Romero and and Walter Bell will be the front two with him. So have they taken the next level up this year? And, uh, you know, the change with Becca Sese as well and how it will differ between he and Crespo again in knockout football last year. And I think that's been one of the main storylines. And, and Becca Sese would be close to my manager of the tournament. Who is it? It's uh, it's at Racing. It's Pizzini. Uh, okay. Pizzi, excuse me. Okay. Yeah, Pizzi, I think, is to go in with Racing this year and to topple Sao Paulo as the group winners... Mm. I think is very impressive indeed. And he's a manager, of course, who's been around Argentina a lot, you know, formerly in charge of San Lorenzo, um, formerly in charge of Rosario at points as well. But I think that stands out, particularly with the weight around Sao Paulo and, of course, with Crespo as their manager, to, to win that group in the manner that they have done. I don't think they've ever been outplayed in a game this this tournament so far. And although it was a relatively simple group elsewhere, that stands out as a really impressive performance from Racing. Uh, they, they've definitely gone up a level from last year under Becca Sese. And, and Pizzi is one of the main changes. I know there's been a few other changes as well, particularly in the uh, front office as well, uh, away from the football field. But yeah, I'm very impressed with them. And I, I give a lot of the credit to the manager and the astuteness to bring in Thomas Chankalai, of course. Mm. It's uh, Fabian Bustos for me. The Barcelona boss, um, just, yeah, I've talked about it on the podcast, but just his ability to, without any superstars, without any big names, to create a team that's probably greater than some of its parts and to 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 have a kind of back-to-front side where there is quality throughout from Burai to to Gus as, as the front man and to find a way to accommodate Damien Diaz. And, yeah, I just think um, he's, he's my coach of the... Coach of the round as I kind of cling on to anything outside Argentina and Brazil. And when you look at the last, when you look at the round of 16, Oli, what is that? How many players are not Argentina, Brazilian? How many sides are other Barcelona? So we're going through all the players. That is going to be a... <laughs> Barcelona, Cerro, Universidad Católica and Olympia. So four out of the 16 are non-Argy or Brazilian. Yeah. Um, and you yeah. wouldn't be putting any money on at least three of those. I can't to be honest. Quite, but- I can't believe that Palmeiras is 6-1 to one to win it. I like that a lot. I like that a lot, mate. You put a fiver on. Yeah. Okay. Let's chat. I'm not, I'm not a gambling man. I like one. I like one.